You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We've been doing a Sunday school class for eight or nine weeks now, and the series has been called The Truth About, and what we're trying to do is look at some different controversial subjects in our culture and within the church and talk about what the Bible says about them. So it's not Dan's truth about, etc. It's about what does the Bible say with regard to these issues. My belief is that what the Bible says should be the belief of every Christian. I think the Bible is inspired by God, that it's the Word of God, and that as believers we are called to follow Christ. Christ taught us that every Word of God is um, inerrant, that it's perfect, that it's given by God. And so we are coming at these subjects from that place. What does the Bible say about these issues? The first issue that we tackled in general is the truth about the sanctity of life. And we've been speaking for the last week and a half or so about the issue of abortion in particular. And what we've tried to do the last week is give a clear scriptural perspective on the issue of abortion. And so what I want to do today is I want to, again, just reiterate what the Bible says And then I want to get into some of the rational and the scientific arguments behind believing that that a child in the womb is a human being, should be protected. And then I want to move on to what Christians should do about it. How do we act in light of this truth? And so let's pray and then we'll get into our topic this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that um, every single person in this room... Um, stands here today as a sinner, and and Lord, the only difference is your grace. And Lord, we thank you that um, no matter what sin has been committed in the past, that you love us and that you've died for us. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at this issue of abortion that it would be um, a topic that we can speak about truthfully and we can say what the Bible says, but Lord, that we can also speak about it in love and and with this idea of your grace and your love for sinners in mind. And Lord, help us this morning, and I pray that... um, your spirit would work in our hearts. And we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Bible's position on the issue of abortion is very simple. Human life is sacred. We talked last week about eight reasons that I think that the Bible teaches that human life from the moment of conception is sacred. And the first one is that God is the maker and the giver of life. The second one is that children are a blessing from the Lord. The Bible teaches us this. The third one is children are referred to the same way, in other words, with the same words, whether they're born or unborn in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. I think this is very important to understand that that when we come to this issue, a lot of people will say, well, the Bible doesn't explicitly say that uh, the child in the womb is a human being that should have the same rights. And maybe it's true that 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 verse doesn't explicitly exist, However, every single time the Bible speaks about a child in the womb, it uses the same Greek and Hebrew words as it would use to refer to a child who's already been born. So in other words, the Bible's not making a distinction between born prior, the, the sanctity of that life prior to birth and post-birth. Number four, we find in the Bible that children are innocent and they should not be punished for their father's sins. <clears throat> Number five, we find that the pinnacle of Israel's sinfulness was seen in the killing of innocent children. Number six, we see that God has a plan for children in the womb. Number seven, we saw that John the Baptist responded to Jesus' presence before his birth. 
And finally, number eight, the punishment for killing an unborn child is the same punishment as for killing a mother or any other person. Okay? It's considered murder under the law. And so we looked at those eight reasons. If you want the biblical defense of those things, you'll have to listen to last week's message. Basically, what the Bible says as a whole is that there's no evidence that the baby in the womb is subhuman. The only verse that seems to talk about this, when you actually look at what the words are saying, it's very clear that it's actually protecting the life of the baby. The Bible teaches that unborn ch- an unborn child is not a part of the mother, but rather an independent and marvelous creation of God. All of the evidence in God's word points to this truth that the baby is a human being. And for the, so for the Christian, this isn't a matter of personal opinion. And I think one of the problems that we've had in the past is that when Christians defend this, they defend it with as if it's their opinion, as if they own the truth and it's theirs to defend. And that's not the truth. The truth is, this is God's word. And so we believe these things because God said them. And that ought to change how we handle these truths. Okay, we should be able to be humble as we speak what God said. And so Christians have every biblical reason to oppose abortion because it is the destruction of life made by God and in the image of God. And so just as we would oppose genocide, um, infanticide, we should oppose the infanticide that's happening in the wombs and people all over the world. This week, what I want to do is I want to take a specific look at the rational and scientific reasons to oppose abortion, and then we'll close by some of the ways that Christians can be actively involved in helping in their communities. And just a reminder, if at any point I'm not being clear about something, or if at any point you have a question or a comment, then please raise your hand and we'll take it. Uh, I know that throughout the lessons there are many, many, many things that I forget, and many things that I'm not sure if they're relevant or not. And so if you have a question or a comment about them, then it will help everyone. All right, so let's talk, take a look at um, just the scientific reasons. Uh, increasing technology and advances in the healthcare industry allow doctors and scientists to learn a great deal about the development of the child in the womb. Now we can get these incredible 3D pictures. They can learn about the development of the child at every single stage. And there's just unbelievable things that they've learned with the advancement of this technology. Um, we, they see that um, at the point of conception, that there is a living uh, life that has its own DNA, separate from the DNA of the mother and separate from the DNA of the father. And so from the very beginning, everything that is needed to code, the color of hair, the color of eyes, the height, I mean, every, everything that makes that individual unique, the fingerprints, everything is there from the moment of conception. And so we're not talking about just, just a zygote that is some type of living thing. We're not sure what it is yet. We're talking about something that will mature into a human being um, or that is a human being that just needs time to grow. It's actually fascinating to learn how quickly the different aspects of our bodies develop in the womb. Um, At 22 days, the child begins to circulate its own blood and its heart is beating. Now, most women don't know they're pregnant at that point. And yet the child already has its own heartbeat, that it already has its own blood, it, it already has its own blood type, and it's pumping through its veins. 
At just six weeks, the child's eyes, eyes and eyelids, nose, mouth, and tongue have formed. Brain activity can be detected at six or seven weeks, and by the end of the eighth week, the child, known scientifically as a fetus, has developed all of his organs and bodily structures. Think about six or seven weeks, and all of the major organs are in place. The bones are in place. I mean, the, the, the baby, it, it already would clearly resemble a baby. Now, certainly it's going to look a little bit like an alien. Okay? You've all seen an ultrasound that looks like an alien. Um, but it's a human alien, right? <laughs> all, of these, all of these organs are in place. By 10 weeks after conception of the child, the child is able to make its own bodily movements. It's able to respond to pain. I mean, it's just amazing when you go through the development of the fetus. And so we're talking that once we get past around 20 weeks, the only thing that happens is growth. The child is not changing in its phonetic structure at all. It's not changing um, in its organs. It's not adding brand new parts. It's just growing. And so there is life at the moment of conception, and that life cannot be called anything other than human. And what's interesting about all of this is, as I mentioned last week, they're finding that more and more doctors are not willing to perform abortions, and especially not abortions um, later on, simply because they know all this information now. Now you can't hide behind this idea that we're just, we're just taking the life of some cells in the, in the womb, but that it's a human baby. And I think that's a wonderful thing that more and more doctors are realizing this and standing up for their, their convictions in this issue. And so here are some rational arguments that might help. Um, a lot of times we're dealing, especially with this issue, when we're talking to people, we're talking to people that don't know Christ, that they're not bought into what the Word of God says. Now, I've said this before, and as a Christian, I think that is our primary source of authority. And I really don't think you need to back down from that on when you're talking with people, I think that, that saying, you know what, I, I believe that the Bible's true, and based on what the Bible says, this is why I believe this. But I think it's also very helpful for us to have some rational reasons to, to go along with what we believe or what we see that the Bible says. So I want to discuss a, a few thoughts that I think give rational support to the truths that we've already seen in the Bible. Um, and it's funny that in our culture, in our world today, most of the arguments for choice have moved away from that the that the being is not human and just toward that the women's life and the woman's choice trumps the life of the baby and so it's almost like there's this growing acceptance that okay you're right this is a human life and so one of the questions we ask is um okay if this is a human life at what point is there a person that is worthy of protection because that's, the new argument is, well, they're a human life, but they don't yet have personhood. And personhood happens at some stage, whether it's at birth or at first breath, or maybe it's at 20 weeks, or maybe it's at the point that the heart's beating. People have different ideas of when personhood begins. What Right to Life groups have used is this thing called the SLED test. How do we decide when a human life is a person? The first question is, is it... At size, does the size or the age determine the value of this, that life? Does it determine personhood? Now, you, you put that in any other context and you say, well, is a two-year-old two less of a person than a 12-year-old, who's clearly much bigger? You say, no, absolutely not. It's, it's very clear to us it's not. 
And so we don't use size as, somebody, as a way of determining the value of a person's life. Do we use the level of development? What about those with developmental disorders? Are we willing to say that somebody that has a developmental disorder, who hasn't developed fully in certain areas, whether physically or mentally, that they're less of a person, that they're, they're less worth protecting? I think most people wouldn't say that. And so their level of development is not a good reason to consider them not a person. Okay? What about the 20-year-old male whose brain isn't fully developed yet. <laughs> I think we talked about that a few, a few weeks ago, that males' brains don't fully develop until they're 25 years old. So mine's been working for about six years now. <laughs> um. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, I think they stop working at a certain point, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's so nice. Okay, so we got the size, the level of development. How about the environment? Is the environment that a person is placed in, do we determine personhood based on where they are? Is the seven-inch journey through the birth canal a way of establishing personhood? Because if it is, then Tara, Landon, and myself are in trouble. We were born cesarean section. We just didn't get that experience. And so clearly we're not fully... Persons. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Obviously, it's, it's, we'd never say location determines a person. And so how about, finally, their degree of dependency? So it's not their size, it's not their level of development, it's not their environment, but how about how dependent they are upon their mother? Well, newborns are still pretty dependent, aren't they? And, and people who are involved in serious accidents, they get put on life support, they're pretty dependent. People toward their end of life are often very dependent. So do we start determining who's a person based on just how well they can function on their own at this point? No, we don't. And so I feel like when we go through these um, just logical ideas, we find that it really doesn't make sense to say that a person in the womb is just not a person simply because they're not breathing air yet. The second issue that, I th- that I'd like to bring up that I think speaks to the rational objection against choice is that... There are laws protecting children in the womb. And what I thought was interesting about this, actually, I'll explain to you how the situation in the States is. So there's the Unborn Victims of Violence Act that was put in place in 2004 under Bush. And it says that, that a child in utero is a member of the species Homo sapiens at any stage of development who is carried in the womb. And what that does is it allows criminals to be convicted of murder if they kill a child in the womb, okay? Or, or of, actually there's 108 crimes that you can be convicted of for doing against a, a child in the womb. So in the USA, a human being is a person if the mother wants it. But if the mother doesn't want it, then they're not considered a human being by law, which is not very logical, but I actually think that's a better place to be than where we are in Canada. And I didn't know this actually until I was studying it, but in Canada, we don't have any fallacy like this in our system. We are very consistent. A human being is not a human being until it's breathing air. And so in Canada, if you kill a child in the womb, you can be convicted on beating the mother, 
but you can't be convicted on doing anything against that child. And so we don't have that fallacy. I thought we would, and so when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And then I was like, oh, and Canada actually doesn't apply very well. What is interesting is that OHIP covers fertility treatments. Not all the fertility drugs involved with those treatments, but they will cover fertility treatments. So I'm not wa- sure why they're so concerned with, with creating that life in the first place and why the government's funding that, but they are. The third reason um, is the medical complications associated with abortion. If you're just speaking on, on a purely scientific level, apart from what God says, apart from morality, there are many medical complications that are associated with abortion. It doubles the risk of future ectopic pregnancies and increases the chance of future, future miscarriages. And so women are putting themselves somewhat at risk with their future pregnancies. Um, it increases the risk of cervical cancer by 2.3 times, and it goes up to 4.8 times if it's a second abortion. Uh, 10% of women who have abortions experience some immediate health complications, and 2% of women that have abortions have very serious complications. There are great psychological effects that uh, many women report after having an abortion. 40 to 60% of women experience negative reactions, including guilt, nervous disorders, sleep disturbances, and regret. Uh, They are 2.5 times more likely to be admitted to a hospital for psychiatric care than a woman who gave birth. And they are four times more likely to die in the following year. And they die because of um, suicide primarily, but also drug and alcohol addiction. And so when we look at just the medical stats, we find... Now, I'm not going to say... like. Some people like to bring up, oh, there's, there's all these women that are killed by safe abortions. And it's true. There, there have been women who have had negative reactions to the drugs. There have been women who have died. There's also women that, that die in childbirth. So the chances of you dying because you got an abortion are very, very low. But when we just look at, are there any side effects? Yeah, there are. There are medical complications quite often. And there are, are very often... Um, psychiatric complications. There, there are problems that women have after. They feel regret. They feel guilt. There's actually a, a new phenomenon they're discovering is that women are experiencing great deal of guilt and regret 20 years later. That some women who went through the whole process without really having any trouble now are experiencing this, this regret and this guilt. Those are just some, some rational reasons that I think um, the pro-life position makes sense. I want to give you a a refutation of a few common pro-choice statements. And so these are just statements that you'll hear quite often in the media. They're reasons that are are given to support pro-choice or pro-abortion position. The first one is that the woman has the right to do whatever she wants with her body. You've heard this before, but, but one of the ideas is it's her body, so you should let her do whatever she wants with it, right? The problem is she doesn't. That doesn't fly. That, that's not the law anywhere else. Every time you break the law, you break the law with your body, right? So the, the law is always telling us what we can and can't do with our body. I was going to say it's, it's actually illegal to, for prostitution in Canada, but I found out something else interesting, um, that it's not illegal to prostitute yourself. It's illegal to use the services of a prostitute in Canada. And so the idea is, let's get the men in trouble and not the ladies. 
there are a lot of things that we're not, you're not allowed to harvest your organs and sell them. It's illegal. You can be put in jail for trying to do something like that. We tell people what they must wear and how much they must wear quite often. It was my body. I just want to show everybody. Well, you can't do that because it's illegal, right? Where you may go, what you may do, um, and what you may do with it is always being regulated by the government. And so the idea that women can do whatever they want with their body is just not true. It's not, it's not what the law says. But the second part of that is the child is inside of her, but it's not her body. The child is inside of her body, but it has its own body. It's dependent upon her, but it has its own unique DNA. And so the woman has the right to do whatever she wants with her body. We, I mean, it's not her body that she's doing it to. Yes, it's inside of her body. And yes, I can see how that's really confusing. But the, the scientific fact is that the child has its own body. Number two, the state should stay out of what happens in the bedroom. The state should stay what happens in the bedroom. And again, this is, I think, a, a kind of a ridiculous statement because there are actually a lot of things that we, we don't want to be legally allowed to take place in the bedroom. Okay, uh, And so the state has to regulate evil where evil is present. That's the job of the state. And if it happens in the bedroom, then it should be regulated. <clears throat> we would say that rape, incest, and anything done to a child should be regulated by the government even if it happens in the bedroom. This isn't about that. It's not about regulating what happens in the bedroom. I don't think there's a lot of pro-life groups that are holding signs trying to tell people that they're not allowed to commit fornication anymore. Okay? I don't think that we're trying to get the government to regulate that. Now, we might, as believers who believe the Bible, say that that's, that's sinful behavior, that, that that's not God's design for sexuality. But that doesn't mean that what we're trying to do is have the government impose laws that are going to regulate what happens in the bedroom. What we're trying to say is that the product of that is a human life, and that human life should be protected. So it's the killing of the innocent life that happens as a result of what happens in the bedroom that we're against. Number three, you've probably heard that being pro-choice is not the same as being pro-abortion. I think this is a position a lot of people take because it, helps, it allows you to, to ride the fence a little bit, right? I'm not pro-abortion. I think abortion's wrong, but I still think people should have the right to choose. The logic behind is I personally disagree with abortion, but I think every person has the right to make up their own mind on the issue, or that's between the woman and her doctor. This is a completely logical position. If God does not exist, the Bible is not true, and truth is relative. Okay, that is absolutely true. If, if truth is relative and I can have truth that belongs to me and, and your truth is different, your morality is different, then I can say, okay, you're, you're right. Um, maybe for you it's okay, but for me it's wrong. But as a believer in Christ, we're not coming from that position. We are saying that God is the de- person who determines what is right and ro- what is wrong. God determines absolute morality, objective morality for his creation. Second, the second part about that answer, so being pro-choice is not the same as being pro-abortion, you can't really apply that to any other law, right? Any other, any other thing that the government regulates, you can't say like stealing is right for me, but I think people should have the right to decide whether or not they want to steal, 
right? If something is morally wrong, and the idea behind that is you believe stealing is wrong, not just because the government said it's wrong, because it's morally wrong, then you can't say, well, it's morally wrong for me, but it's not. It shouldn't be regulated by the government. Um, it should be. And the huge problem in all of this is that it's a lot of Christians that I find take this stance. It's a lot of Christians that are trying to walk the fence where they say, well, yeah, I know what the Bible teaches, and so I think it's wrong, but I think that the government should stay out of it. And the problem with that is you're saying that the government should, that there's a time in our existence where the government should allow murder to people because they want to do it. And that you think that it's, you should just stay out of it and that the government should just stay out of it. Would we use that, okay, well, what if the government wants to, to kill all of the Mexicans? Should we just stay out of it because it doesn't really affect us? No, absolutely not. Because murder is murder. And so that's not, I think that walking, trying to walk that line, it doesn't make any sense. If it's murder and that's why you're against it, then you should be against it at all levels including what the government does. Um, I'll read you a statement that was given by a man named Bishop Melvin Talbert of the United Methodist Church in 1996. And this is a statement that I think encapsulates the idea that a lot of Christians have, and I think it's a very unfortunate one. He says, In reality, there are many of us who believe that choice is the most logical and most responsible position in any religious institution. Any religious institution can take on this issue. My sisters and brothers, we are dealing with something that is deeply spiritual and cannot be left to those who would choose to politicize this issue and further victimize those who must ultimately decide for themselves. So he says you can't, that this decision, that, that the church's position should be one of choice... Why? Because this decision cannot be left to those who would choose to politicize and further victimize those who must ultimately decide for themselves. 92% of abortions are not for therapeutic reasons or ethical reasons. So it's not in the case of the woman's health, and it's not in the case of rape or incest. And yet he is referring to those 92% of women grouped with the rest as the victims. Exactly how are you further victimizing them by saying that they shouldn't be able to kill their own child when they entered into that relationship of their own accord? How, is, how are they the ones being victimized? Um, I, I would imagine that the one actually being victimized is the one that, whose life we're talking about. So, two questions for Bishop Melvin. Don't we think we can leave it to God? I mean... When he says that it's really not our place, that it should be left out of those who are, are going to use it for political reasons, doesn't it make sense just to see what God says on the issue? If we're Christians and we're representing a church, then maybe what God said matters more than even those who would use it for political reasons on either side of the issue. I'm not pro-life because of any of my political positions. That's such a ridiculous statement to make. Why would anybody think that this is an issue of politics? This is an issue about killing people. It's not a political issue. Obviously, it comes into politics, but it's not, first of all, a political issue. And my second question is, should the babies who are the real victims have any say? 
And so I think what Bishop Melvin is saying, and it represents a lot of what, Christian, what Christianity believes, um, nominal Christianity in our culture, is it's completely ridiculous. Um, number four, pro-lifers don't care about women's rights. A lot of people believe that if you're pro-life, you are not as concerned with women's rights. Well, one, one interesting statistic is that there are 11 million women missing on the face of this planet because of sex-selective abortions. So of the, of the abortions that have taken place, women outweigh men 11 million. There are actually some villages, and I heard a story this week about some villages in India where they've had one baby girl born in the last 15 years. Like, how does that happen? Well, people are concerned with who's going to work on the farm and take care of them in the future. Pastor? Dan, you think of China right now, that mm-hmm. there's a real problem that men will live and die in China without ever having a wife mm-hmm. because of the government's response to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just a problem. Like, it certainly is a problem in China, and we've all heard that, but this is a problem that was creeping into Canada, and this is actually a lot of the reason that they won't tell you what sex you have anymore. Because they were finding people were selecting abortion, they were aborting women because... They were women, because they wanted a boy. That was happening in Canada. The idea of not caring about women's rights, I, I think that it, if we really believe that all of these babies are human beings, persons, then we're caring about those rights. We don't believe anyone has the right to kill an innocent human being. Even if they're a woman, they don't have that right. Um, pro-lifers fund countless crisis pregnancy centers around the world designed to help women in all stages of pregnancy, childbirth, and raising a baby. And so, yeah, we do care about women's rights. That's why we're trying to put things in place. That's why a place like Refuge in Chatham, it it is an agency that is funded solely by those churches and Christians that give toward it, receive no government funding. And it's a crisis pregnancy center, and the purpose of it is to provide care for women um, while they're pregnant, help them with counseling, help them with um, education, help them with training. Uh, as they give birth, have people there with them that can help them. And then post-birth, for the first couple years of that baby's life, they'll be there to help them with whatever they need, training, mentorship, um, diapers, clothing. They're there to help. And those are, that's funded by Christians. So we're caring about the mothers. We're trying to provide her what she needs. And I'm actually kind of glad that this argument is used less often than it used to be. Because now crisis pregnancy centers in North America outweigh abortion clinics two to one. That's an incredible thing. I think we do care. Additionally, pro-lifers are on waiting lists all over the country, ready and willing to adopt babies who may otherwise be aborted. And I'm sure there's there's some pro-choice people that are on that list as well. But I think overall you'd find that People that are on a waiting list to adopt think that, that women should give birth to those babies and then put them up to, for adoption. And so there's no such thing as an unwanted baby, right? They're wanted. Number five, women will die of unsafe abortions if it is made illegal. And a big part of the reason for abortion being legalized in Canada is that there were some horror stories of women who tried to perform abortion on themselves or had a friend try and do it and they ended up dying. And so a few of these horror stories caught the media's attention. It became very big news. And so eventually we had a country that said, we have to find a way to make this process clean and safe for women. And so is it true 
that women will die of unsafe abortions if it is made illegal. Well, yes. There there will probably be some people who go ahead and and get an abortion and they can't get it legally. But even when it was illegal, they say that 9 of 10 abortions that were done illegally were still done by doctors in doctor's offices. This is prior to the laws being in place. So in the situation prior to it being legalized wasn't as bad for women as, as people are pretending it is. It wasn't like every person was dying. But I think that the idea that trumps all of that is at what point do we say that something has to be legal in order, something that's, that's immoral should be legalized so that the government can ensure that it's safe and secure? Would we say, yeah, um, we should really make sex slavery legal in Canada? Well, why should we do that? Well, because if we do that, the government will be able to enforce regulations. It'll be able to keep that whole industry safe. Do we, are we concerned with keeping that industry more safe, or are we concerned with trying to eliminate it? Hopefully we're try, concerned with eliminating it. And so it, it will happen. So do we create laws that will hopefully protect the lives of some mothers that choose to get an abortion when we're allowing 100,000 babies a year in Canada to be killed? If we were to ever make a, a flow chart, if we really did this analytically and we wanted to say, well, how many lives are going to be saved each way, the number of abortions performed that would be reduced if we made it illegal would like, way outweigh the number of women that would potentially be hurt or die because of illegal abortions, trying to perform them on themselves. So women will die of unsafe abortions, and I can see that. There, there might be some women that die doing something that's, that's illegal, but far more children are dying all the time. Number six, it's cruel to force a woman to carry a baby that is a result of rape. And this is probably the most difficult issue that, that any people come to because it, it is very, you have strong emotional feelings on this, right? I mean, it does seem quite unfair to force a woman to carry this baby and go through the child and, and, and just hinder the direction of her life because she was raped, um, up to no fault of her own. And I, and I get that. <clears throat> but we saw what the Bible said last week. Children are not responsible for the sins of their fathers. Now, what happened to the woman was, it's tragic, it's awful. I would love for our society to do everything that we can to protect women as much as possible, so that happens as, as little as possible. That's where I think our efforts should go. But when we're talking about the number of abortions that take place in Canada, we're talking about 0.5% that take place for, for cases of rape. And with these cases of rape, would you say, and this is, this is just trying to be logical about this, would you say that if a year or two down the road, the woman finds that she's, she's constantly being reminded of what happened to her because of that child, that a year or two down the road, it should be okay to take the child's life? Because the same, same, same logic behind it applies, right? It's, it's, it's difficult for the mother. It's changing the mother's life. It's, it, mother's going to be reminded of this, the thing that happened to her so often. Those, those reasons still apply, yet we would never say. And so what I'm saying is that, yes, it's a tragedy what happened to the person, but we don't kill a human being that's innocent to make that tragedy right. It just doesn't make it right. Joanne? 
called her friends and went in the mountains and she got raped. The good thing about it is, of course, they kept her child, but she got saved. Mm-hmm. And that was a real testimony. Mm-hmm. So there you go, I can change anybody. Yeah. It turned out to be a good story, so that's what I was... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We discussed that a little bit last week, that the child is not a negative consequence there. The child is still a blessing from the Lord. What, what I found interesting when I was looking at this is that it seems like most rape victims actually agree with me. Do you know that 50% of unplanned pregnancies in Canada end in abortion? So 50% of women who have an unplanned pregnancy end in abortion. But only 15 to 25% of women who are raped get an abortion. So the rate is much lower for women who are raped than it is for women who just, it's unplanned. So, so it seems like actually a lot of women agree with this, that they're not, they're not being troubled by it. Um, additionally, women require a lot more counseling and more psychiatric visits uh, more often if they end the child's life than if they still have the child. So it's not, it's not like this is causing... Um, additional trauma, the trauma's already happened, and it's a tragedy. But killing the child doesn't, doesn't take that away. It doesn't make it better. So, it's cruel to force a woman to carry a baby that is a result of rape. I just, don't, I just don't think that we can justify the killing of a human being because of his father's sins. So what is the Christian response? There's some, um, I guess we're out of time. So, next week, we will look at the Christian's response um, and, and I hope you understand this. It, I'm not trying to advocate that we have a group of people in this room who are against abortion, but then never lift a finger to help anybody about it. Okay? I, I want us to be a group of people who say, okay, this is what the Bible says, this is what, we te- this is what it, the Bible teaches, so how should I be acting in a way that is loving and kind that will help people that are put in these very difficult situations in their lives? That's where I want to go with this. I don't want us to be just left with, oh yeah, I'm definitely against these things. We shouldn't have this checklist of things we're against. We should say, okay, here's the issue. What can I do to help? And so that's what we'll talk about next week. Thank you for coming this morning.